Hey, welcome to the Church Explained podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. Not a, this is not an issue that's, you know... It's, no, it's not uh, going away. It's not going away and it's not no. uh, geographically focused. It's a global uh, issue um, and and the church at a time when it's going through so much upheaval in some areas mm. and there's so much, I would say, filtering of the church going on to some degree... Yeah. Um, there's a need for us to get more certainty on some of the peripheral issues, things that maybe we're not thinking about every day, but which are increasingly moving towards the centre of the social conversation. Yeah, I I love that. And and just thinking of the the church for a moment, obviously lots of leaders here listen to this, they're thinking about their church, they're thinking about their town or their city. Um, What do you think are the things that will really help churches grow um, if people were to ask you that question, you know, what, if, if they really want to grow their church, um, influence the city, influence where they live, what do you think are the key factors at the minute? What should they be focusing on? Oh, that's we could do a podcast just on that one. That's huge. Well, and I, I've done a lot of, a lot of talking and writing. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, on that subject, but I, I think, in fact, I, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Church of Twenty Twenty, which was all about. It was written a decade before, so 2010, uh, and uh, I've written articles since on the Church of 2030, 2040, because it is important that we are strategic in our mindset. Um, the scripture says, in the fullness of time, Christ came. And that fullness of time is a picture in the Greek language of a, an hourglass being tipped. When the, when the, the, the sand is dribbled through and the thing is finished, then you tip it over. That tipping point is what the scripture is calling the fullness of time. Uh, and God essentially allowed millennia to go by before the fulfillment of a promise he made in Genesis 3.15. It wasn't fulfilled in Genesis 3.16. Mm-hmm. It had to wait until John 3.16. Yeah. So he's a very strategic person. He's thinking and planning at specific times, this will happen, this will happen, and then here in the fullness of time, Christ is revealed. So we need to be strategic. We need to not just have vision, my generation, uh, boomers, we're really good at vision, very good at vision. But that's just the start of leadership. Leadership is it is articulating a vision, not just for the church, but for the city. It's also about strategy on the back of the vision to take us there. Mm, definitely. And I think it, without strategy, vision is just wishful thinking. Mm. It's just when you wish upon a star, you've got to have something concrete and measurable to say, if we want to be there in five years, where will we be after two? Mm. You know, so I think being strategic is an important part of forward-friendly thinking, future-friendly thinking. By the way, you can't future-proof your life or your church, but you mm. can be future-friendly as much as possible. Yeah, Bad things will happen. Stuff will go on. Things will will, will make it tough at times to stick to yeah. the path, but we stay friendly to the future. Yeah. And, and what should we avoid? Like if a leader's listening, they're thinking of all the things that are out there that they can get involved in, whether it's, you know, embracing AI or technologies or other stuff. What do you think leaders should be avoiding rather than focusing on? I think we should avoid, and, and this applies also to another thing that I believe very strongly will be an issue for the church in the next 10 years, 
This, and I said this 10 years ago, but it's much more evident today. There's a combination of cultural bias against religion and in some areas, particularly Christianity, combined mm. with, in some areas, growing regulation or systemic opposition to religion. That's become more and more true in the age of, of so-called wokeism, critical theory. We need to be very careful in the face of that and things like technological change that we don't become paranoid. You cannot engage a culture which you've already unilaterally declared your enemy. Mm. Jesus said, love your enemies. That's for a reason. You can't engage an enemy you're not prepared or you can't change an enemy you're not prepared to engage. Mm. You know, so as a church, we need to avoid at all costs paranoia about the world we live in, this attitude of, of us and them in a non-biblical way. There is a yeah. biblical version of us and them in the New Testament, but the non-biblical version is where we don't engage. Mm. We, we're no longer salt and light because we're not in contact with the culture. Um, so we need to avoid, I think, this paranoia and using our eschatology as escapism. Mm. I don't find anywhere in the parables of Jesus relating to the second coming any suggestion that we should hide under the bed and wait for him to return. Every parable Jesus told that I can find, mm. that Jesus told about these, his second coming was about managing present resources to produce a future result. Mm. Which is why I think when Martin Luther famously was asked, what would you do if someone said Jesus was coming back tonight? He said, I'd plant a tree. Yeah. It's keeping that long-term focus because we don't know when he'll return. Keeping Absolutely. that long-term focus is important, yeah. you know. So the, yeah. avoiding paranoia is not is true in the area of of social opposition, cultural opposition, and even regulatory opposition to the church. Being proactive as much as we possibly can to bring about change is part of that. But it's also yeah. important when it comes to issues relating to tech. Definitely. So, so do you think? then that's how we as the church then should, I guess, be at the forefront. Because one of the things I've been thinking through is often the church is almost on the back foot when it comes to technology or innovation. I'm trying to get the question, of how do we help leaders to really embrace what's there rather than Embrace almost embrace embracing the positives of the culture rather than be frightened of them. But also this idea, like how can we as the church, what sort of mindset do we need to make sure that we're at the forefront of what's happening in order to bring change rather than, hey, the church is just catching up 10 years later? Yeah, that, that again is a big question. You ask good questions. I, th I think the first thing comes back to what I said before, showing curiosity. Mm. Um, Another thing that Edward Joel used to say, which I love, we were very good friends at one point, and he said that sometimes the Christian is like the person who turns up at a conversation about nuclear physics and says, do you like bananas? Mm -hmm. There's no engagement with the subject at hand. Yeah. There's no sense of this might be important to those people. Instead, we come in with our particular the question that matters to us is not necessarily the question that matters Brilliant. to the That's people true. around us. Yeah. yeah, I think Joel was onto something. Um, 
I think we need to understand the power of curiosity. I think, and here, I like to make this statement. This is something I came to over years of thinking about it. All evangelism is mission, but not all mission is evangelism. Mm. And often we're, for example, teaching people in our churches almost to be evangelists in the Ephesians 4 sense of the ministry gift sense of the word, mm-hmm. instead of teaching them to bear witness to Jesus in everything they do, in whatever they do, yeah. in the doing it as unto the Lord, not unto man. So I think it's important that we show that we engage with curiosity, um, that we study the new technologies that come out, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, where can this best be used, in the same way that Christian music pioneers did in the 60s and early 70s, Mm. where they said, look, we know that this music's got a different beat, we know that its chord structures are strange to your ears, but we believe there's something in it that can be sanctified, set apart. Mm. We won't take the whole package, sex, drugs, rock and roll, we'll just take the parts that we believe can be sanctified. So that's the same with tech. Um, And I think the other thing is just to be always trying to be predictably surprising. Mm. One of the things that our society should say about the church is, you will surprise me every time. Yeah. You will go beyond what I was expecting. That's Luke 6, isn't it? Invite Mm -hmm. people to your party who can't invite you back. That's what I'm talking about. Going the extra mile, being predictably surprising not predictably predictable yeah jesus was a very surprising person sometimes in quite shocking ways if you were his disciples you know it wasn't always beer and skittles with jesus was it he could be quite dangerous yeah. to hang around but if, if we're speaking the word and we're trying to live authentically for christ in community then i think we will find we become predictably surprising people to the world around us yeah, I like that. And I think it's trying to encourage leaders and churches to stay innovative. Do you know what I mean? Mm. To to be open. And as you say, you know, I like that word, curious, to be curious about what's out there, what's around us, you know, what's our response to creation uh, and, 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 and all the things that are at our disposal. And I've been thinking a little bit about uh, one of the um, one of the articles you have on your site around this idea of educators and the metaverse. And one of the things you were saying, I think, in that article was that you could almost envisage educators using the metaverse more and more to help their students with a learning experience. So it got me intrigued a little bit in the sense of thinking of that in in the education world and people using the metaverse and and and, and, and in order to sort of enhance the learning experience I, I guess i was trying to think where does that fit into the church like how can the church use stuff like that i know churches some churches are already using some of that technology but i was trying to think that many many churches are i, I guess they still have the sort of the the traditional approach to what a service looks like you'll have some music you'll have some communication from the front you'll have you know that that's the package but what is what about the metaverse and and you know how should we as church leaders should we should we be thinking about how we now use this technology or should we just be getting on with doing things the same old way 
Well, let's take the metaphor, the example you've used of the church service uh, as a way of into that question. I think, um, I believe that with anything digital where the church is concerned, the ideal is always to encourage cyber tribe to become real tribe. So I had a, I I had a letter from an email from a pastor of a very good church in the north of England who has since moved. But he wrote to me, uh, he said, you know, 20 years ago, you came to our church and you spoke to us as leaders about the potential of this thing called the Internet. And he said, and this is a guy that's particularly known for being very creative. He said, I turned to the guy next to me and I said, what's an Internet? He said, I want you to know, Mal, that we've just won a secular award, national award for a website and a web service that we've set up. I just thought you should know. And I appreciated that. I think the same is true today with things like metaverse, virtual reality, augmented reality and so on. We need to begin to understand what makes that medium tick and again find out are there ways into that with the kingdom of God? Are there ways that we can use that? Because God wouldn't have allowed this technology had it not been capable of being used in Mm. some positive way for the benefit, again, not just of the church, but of humanity and humanity through the church in some instances. So I think we've got a. We saw during the uh, pandemic, a board member of mine who, again, is a pastor of a large network of churches said, the pandemic's done your work for you, hasn't it? I said, what do you mean? He said, you've been banging on about the Internet all these years and now we're actually doing it. We're actually having services online and being very creative with it. And he was right. Um, But we need to take the same approach now with these new technologies. And as we do it, we keep the focus on trying to get the cyber tribe to become eventually a real tribe. So we have special services just for the cyber audience. We don't just stream our Sunday services. That's not good enough. We have, as well as that, in addition to that, we have services that are tailor-made, filmed just for the 20-minute online version of church because we might be reaching people there who are not yet ready to come to a physical service anywhere in the world wherever they live but then we work gradually to bring them from that if they are willing into a physical environment by say having Mm -hmm. a you know saying to them you've been coming to our service online now for several months would you be willing to come interested in coming to a round table online where you can ask any question you like it'll be a small group And then having done that a few times, we say to them, having done this round table now several times, would you be interested in coming to a physical round table? And you can ask any question you want on anything we're about, or we say. That's a way of just subtly and gently bringing people to a point where they're comfortable. Cyber tribe becoming real tribe. Now, not everybody in the cyber audience will eventually end up in physical church. That doesn't matter. You don't have to be in church to be a Christian. If you're going to obey Christ in all of his ways, yes, you want to find somewhere to go. You know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's important to us. But we have to realize it's not a primary issue when it comes to a person's salvation. And in in saying that, we're still trying to get cyber to become 
real. So that would apply with Metaverse, just as it applied with the internet. Uh, and the other thing we have to watch with the Metaverse is the capacity for avatars, because people are represented by avatars in the virtual space, for avatars to be doing rather dark things. And we've seen recently studies coming out showing mm -hmm. that physical assaults have occurred in the Metaverse. And even though those assaults are conducted by avatars, virtual beings, quote unquote, they are driven by human beings whom they represent. So that hurts. The, the, the damage to the victim is just as great <clears throat> because the threat is still a human threat to them. So we're going to have to be very, very careful about mm. that. Yeah, it's a whole thing around ethics again and having some, I guess, guidelines and boundaries for all this stuff that's often missing because we're often catching up to the, you know, the, the technology comes first and then the, the guidelines come after and that's the big challenge. It's the gap between the two, isn't it, where I guess people exploit and you misuse um, the stuff that's out there. It did get me thinking a little bit, Mal, around... The, the sort of traditional preaching method um, and thinking of like all the technologies coming through, uh, whether it's the cyber metaverse, you know, well, do you think there will ever come a stage, a, a stage in life where the sort of stage preaching um, disappears? You know, the traditional way that pastors will get up and communicate. Do you think that will disappear at some point in the future? Well, to be honest with you, speaking longer term, the stage itself might disappear in some instances because we see growing trends at the moment mm. in studies, don't we, for people to move away from the theatrics of church, which I have no problem yeah. with because the youth movement I spoke of earlier was based on very big crowds coming together, crowds of young people. And a crowd is important yeah. because it's a showcase of just how strong the church is, you know. Uh, but I think that preaching will never and we have to define first of all the word preaching in the new testament of course is simply proclamation most often in the greek yeah. so it's all about proclamation not preaching in the way we think of a pulpit and a stage presence and all of that it's proclamation of the gospel usually in a public setting okay in in the new testament mm. so first of all we have to be clear on that uh, preaching won't end proclamation won't end uh, the type of preaching we do in public might take different forms. Um, I can't see it disappearing because I think the most effective way for a group of people to be taught the gospel is through a human being standing up and conveying it in a way that they find meaningful and helpful. Uh, and which provokes questions which they then want to seek answers to. Yeah. So that's... That's that's important to say that, but I think we can use technologies to help us in hearts in the same way that, yeah, in the same way that we use television to bring people into contact with the gospel. Mind you, I think there are too many preachers on TV. I don't think, I think it's a good, I think it's good for some people to see preaching because God wants people saved, but I don't think it's the best mm. use of the medium because television is not great as a teaching medium with a person standing before a camera talking. It's great at documentary. It's great at involvement, engagement, you know. So we need to be more creative in how we use technology while still proclaiming the gospel. Mm. 
Yeah, very good. It's good just to get that out there because maybe church leaders are thinking, well, I'm going to have to stop doing this and I'm going to have to focus all my attention on the technology. So it's good for, I think, church leaders just to be aware that there's room, I guess, in the future for both. And, and as you've described there, it's the proclamation that's important, not not how it's done, but I guess the message itself, which is key. And that proclamation can happen in many, many different forms and styles and places, I guess, not just on a traditional stage that we're so used to today. Um, I've been thinking a little bit, Mal, again, just around some of the stuff you're involved in, you know, as a company trying to be innovative, um, future focused. Again, just trying to think of the church, like how, how do we get better at this? I know you've mentioned earlier being curious. Is there anything else as leaders are listening, how else can they get better being innovative and thinking of the future and being strategic? What, what advice would you give leaders today? Well, there's some great resources on our website, 2030plus.com, that would help with them. Also, we have, I think, six social media streams that are updated almost always daily. Um, and I, although that's not directed solely at church leaders, it's, it's directed at issues and people's response to them, particularly future-focused issues. Um, but innovation is very much at the core of who we are at 2030+. And we define innovation as more than creativity. It's the application of creativity to solve practical or pragmatic or measurable problems. So I say to, to, to church mm. people sometimes, when you came to church, you see on the stage here music, you see media, you see color and light. That's, that's the arts at their best. That's creativity. But what you're sitting on is innovation. And I think that's important mm. to say that because sometimes we think of churches being innovative just in their styles of worship. If the church solves practical problems in very creative ways, it's going to get a hearing. It will get a hearing at the top of society yeah. because what's a politician there for? If they're doing their job properly, they're there for solving problems for their constituents. Mm. If we can learn to solve problems, Joseph did that with Pharaoh. He had a good idea to match his revelation. And the Bible yeah. says the idea seemed good to Pharaoh. I was reading it again early, early this morning. Um, and so yeah. if our world is not open to the revelation, it might be a revelation, uh, open to the innovation, the practical solutions to problems, and start saying, well, tell us where you got that from. Why are you like that? Why do you do that? So I think that's a place to start the attitude, the understanding of what innovation is. We're also about to launch sure. a webinar. It's just been um, post-produced. It's two parts, and it's an hour in total. It's called Innovation Under Pressure, and it's partly designed with church leaders in mind mm. because we are under pressure today to find solutions to problems. It's skills-based. These sessions are skills-based. So it's very practical, okay. uh, and it comes out of 40 years of study and 40 years of speaking around the world about these issues, and I hope wow. that we get some church leaders looking at those as well as church and AI, looking into those webinars. They'll go up in the next... Uh, week online but um, boy there's so much I could say on that I, I really appreciate the questions you're asking yeah. <laughs> yeah hey well it's been fantastic to have you with us on the show I've got a couple of more questions I guess one more question and then a few quick fire questions would that be all right you happy with that yeah. just to help our audience today okay so just one around I guess just thinking of you as the leader 
Um, it's always interesting just to see how leaders keep themselves sharp or at the cutting edge, whatever whatever language we want to package that in. What, what do you do personally? There's probably a lot of things. I think that one of the things I'm very strong on with myself, I can be, if you're an, if you're an analytical person by nature and creative, you can tend to be quite self-critical. And I, I have to discipline that. But I try to, to focus on this idea of um, maintaining risk. Uh, what I mean by that is engaging with things that do make me a little scared. I remember years ago, a friend of mine said, if I don't get out of bed in the morning and feel a little bit scared, I'm probably not in the will of God. And I thought that was cool. I mm. thought that was a, a great insight put in a nice way. Oh, I like that, yeah. There is something mm. scary. And I remember in my teenage years, uh, a saying that really resonated with me. I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but it stays with me to this stage. Think about this. The greatest witness for God is a life that cannot be explained unless there is a God. Mm. So people ought to be able to look at us. The greatest witness for God is a life that cannot be explained unless there is a God. People should look at us and say, yeah, I don't understand you. Either you're completely crazy or there's yeah. something driving you here and something that works <laughs> is driving you here. Yeah, I, like I that. think that I, I try to yeah. put, like, I remember the first time I was ever on uh, BBC Breakfast, uh, been on numerous times and other most of the regional stations I've done something for, it's been wonderful and I'm very grateful. Uh, I never take it lightly. But I remember the first time, you know, I'd been speaking for, for 35 years in public, doing media for 30 years, but this was the BBC. And, he, and for an Australian Antipodean, the BBC is like the pinnacle. And I remember being very <laughs> tense, very, not nervous, but tense, very tense. I did my homework. I thought mm. I knew what I was talking about. Um, and we had a great time and I felt so relieved afterwards. But putting myself in that position, I didn't, it didn't come about by accident. Certain things happened to lead up to it. Putting yourself in a position where if God doesn't turn up, you're in a lot of trouble. It's not that you haven't done your homework. It's not that you're not well prepared. But there's still that sense of, I'm, I need you, God, today. I need you, Lord. You've got to watch my back yeah. today. We need to keep doing that throughout our lives, to keep taking, not, a, not, not necessarily as big a risk as that, but risks as leaders so that we're on the edge a bit. Boring mm. or bored leaders are boring leaders. Mm. One of the, I'll tell you this, Dave, it's very important. One of the most underrated qualities of a good leader is mystique. Not aloofness. That's a different animal. Mystique means that no matter how close people get to you, they always have this sense there's something about you I don't yet mm -hmm. know. I don't yet. I like that. It's a good I thing. I can sense that there's something in you that I want. I don't quite know what mm. it is, but it's there. And we only achieve that by being constantly curious ourselves and putting ourselves in situations we yeah. normally wouldn't be in. I even say to pastors mm. now, why don't you once a month or more often if you choose, take a half a day, go and sit in a museum or an art gallery or at the theatre 
or somewhere that is outside of your normal context just for the sheer experience of being challenged in fresh new ways. And I had a pastor say to me in Britain not long ago that he's been doing that now for some time. He said, you have no idea what a difference it's made to me. It may mean nothing to my people, but to me, it's changed me in the way that I, the way that I approach my ministry, the way that I approach life. Um, it's not so much what you're looking at in the museum, it's the fact that you're there. And you're exposing yourself yeah, to something yeah. that is not, we're not talking about immoral things. We're talking about just experiences of life. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to work mm. on that. It's one of the things that I hope keeps me fresh. Reading does too. I do a, a lot of reading and I try to read outside of my sphere of interest and influence. So, yes, yeah. I do a lot of reading on things like AI, but a lot of other things too. Because all truth, as C.S. Lewis rightly said, is God's truth. And the more I learn, the more curious I become, and the more curious I become, the more curiosity-inspiring I become. At least that in, that's in theory. I hope it's yeah. true in practice. No, I, I love that, and I guess just to encourage leaders with this, I guess it's a recurring idea that you brought out, just to stay curious, and to be curious, and to take those risks, and... And, and, and I love the, the sort of big picture stuff that you're bringing out there, this idea that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Therefore, we, we need to make sure that we're engaging with all the stuff, even as a leader. There's lots out there that often leaders don't engage in. And we're not talking about moral issues or anything, but a lot of stuff that's outside their sphere of influence or out of their normal routine of stuff. But even just to put yourself somewhere like that, can actually do wonders, I think, for the soul and for the mind. Mm. So maybe that's an encouragement for leaders today, just to get out, do something different, take a little bit of a risk. You know, don't do the same old, same old, but actually challenge yourself to, to enjoy the experiences that are out there, the experiences of life that God has given to us. So I think there's something amazing in there. So, hey, thanks for sharing a little bit about your personal journey there, a little bit about your personal insights and um, you know, what you do. I think that'll help leaders today, Mal, as they hear this. Just a, a couple then of these quick fire questions. They're quick fire because I'll ask them quickly and uh, you can answer them quickly right. and uh, that'll help us. So just thinking then of your favourite podcast, what is your favourite podcast and why? I don't have one. I listen to lots of, I've listened, okay, I don't listen to two, I don't listen to too many, but I don't, I couldn't honestly say that I have a favourite. I did one recently that I, I took part in one recently that I like, which was called Talking Jesus with uh, the Evangelical yeah. Alliance. And oh, yeah. uh, it was it's yeah, based yeah. on a survey, you know, yeah, national survey, uh, looking yeah. at what happens in five years if this survey is correct. Uh, and it was fascinating. Wow. No, I don't really have a favourite, though. Sorry. Okay. Well, maybe this could become your favourite after, yeah. after this show. Who knows? You, you never know. The, the Church Explained podcast is there for, for leaders and all sorts of people. Hey, and just tell us maybe a couple of the books that you've read recently. What are your top two favourite books that you want to share with leaders today? Oh, that's very difficult to answer because there's so many books in, across a wide range recently. Um, I would cite, from a Christian point of view, I would say Paul, the biography by Tom Wright has become uh, okay, yeah. a favorite for me and I've recommended it for many people 
also his New Testament, which I didn't know existed until not too long mm. ago. I thought it was very insightful. Um, there are books on, um, I'm just trying to remember titles, it's always difficult. There are books on AI that are worth reading. There's a book on the ethics of AI published by Oxford University, uh, the title of which escapes me at the moment. Um, uh, oh, goodness, that's a difficult question. I'd have to have them sitting in front of me because there's, okay. a, there's a stack of about seven books. And whilst I remember what's in them, right. I don't always remember the titles. Yeah in the moment um okay. over the years though books that have meant a lot to me have been well mere christianity stands supreme above all oh, yes. 19 i read it yeah. at 19 um i read malcolm muggridge's uh jesus rediscovered i think it was or no jesus the man who lives is when i, when I read first at 19 mm. i was a student changed my whole perception of what christianity might be could be coming from a fairly sheltered mm. um, Christian background. That was a great book. Um, so many, um, How Now Shall We Live, which was Chuck um, Chuck Colson's book, uh, quite a seminal Swin book. Okay, for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Chuck Colson, former Nixon uh, henchman. Mm. Um, it was a book about engagement with culture and quite, I think, a game shifter oh. in the United States in that regard. And I... Um, mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many. Forgive me. Yeah. Well, well, you've got a few though that you've mentioned, and and even the there's a whole stack behind one, me for those who are watching. Great. There's a whole. Yeah, <laughs> I can, I can see it. People will be watching that whether they can read those. Hey, and maybe just the last question for today before we wrap up is just to think through who's one of the people who's inspired you the most. Let me narrow that down just a little bit. Let's say in the last five years, maybe that'll help just to narrow it down. Who's inspired you the most in the last five years? Uh, it's very hard that even in five years. I mean, I, I've been privileged over the years to know and befriend, for example, in the Christian world alone, people like Reinhard Bonnke and, and mm. T.L. Evans, people yeah. that have, T.L. Osborne, people who have uh, left a permanent mark in the history of Christianity mm -hmm. have been friends and I'm I don't take that lightly um, I have discovered that the more successful people are truly successful in the scriptural sense of that word the more humble they are and the more accessible they become um, mm -hmm. in the last five years oh gee that's difficult some there are some like Tim Keller that have had an impact from a distance Tom Wright, we've sure. corresponded but not met. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, that's, I didn't read that part of the brief, so I didn't, if that was in the brief you gave me, yeah. I, I didn't come prepared with any <laughs> quick-fire answer to that I, one. Um, well, that, that's fine, that's fine. At least you've, you've mentioned one or two people. Uh, Mal, it's been so good to have you on the show with us today. We know that some of the stuff you've shared is really going to be helpful for listeners as they think about the future, as they think of technology or AI or ethics. It's good for them to be thinking through some of these big subjects and how they can be more strategic uh, as they look to proclaim the gospel in their setting. So, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for joining us today on the Church Explained podcast. Where else can people find you if they want to connect with you? I know you've got the website 23plus.com, uh, is that correct? 
2032030 followed by the word oh, plus yeah, yeah. plus yeah. 2030plus.com yeah. Yeah, but they can also get us yeah, on social media. If you go to my name, Mal M A L, not E L M A L Fletcher, um, yeah. at uh, in in Twitter, Instagram, Threads, uh, TikTok, um, YouTube. It's it's every day something is there. Often multiple instances of, of stuff. Fantastic. So. So people can connect with you through all those different uh, social media platforms as yes. well. Great stuff. And of course, if people want to get on to some of your webinars, um, they can find that info on your website as well. We would encourage leaders to do that. That would be maybe a great help to them as they're thinking through some of these big ideas. Well, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for being on the Church Experience podcast. And we want to say to all our audience today that um, for them to you know rate, subscribe, wherever they listen to this content, just to let people know that we're here and encourage them to keep connecting in and keep coming back week by week.